Hey, good, man. How are you? Doing good. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I've been following you for a long time, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of the way you think and how you go about things. Awesome. Well, I, I have fun, and I might not think like everyone else, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but yeah, happy to be here. Well, I guess if you think like everybody else, you become like everybody else, they say. I think that's true. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So you're out in Canada? I am. Vancouver, BC, beautiful uh, part of the world. Very nice. lucky. I've never been out that way. I've only been to uh, Toronto uh, to play the old Blue Jays, who are now going home early. Yeah, but, uh, no kidding. And where are you? Ba- where are you based? I'm in New York right now. Yeah, between nice. New York and Florida. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's um, you know I have an office here, but I have a farm here too. So we we run a lot of cattle and pork and all that and chickens, and we uh, we do a direct to consumer meat business. Yeah. Oh, good. You're keeping yeah. busy. Yeah, you have to, man. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, whenever we sit with entrepreneurs, I, I love to ask, how did you grow up? And I know it's a very generalized question, but but how did you grow up and what kind of messaging was around you uh, when you were growing up? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, my, my question back is how much time do we have? But uh, you know <laughs> what? How how did I grow up? I, I was born in San Francisco, California. Okay. My mother uh, raised me for part of my life as a single mom. She worked as a bank teller, didn't have a lot of money, but I was surrounded by grandparents um, who ran an army surplus store in San Francisco, and it was in a dodgy end of town, and I just loved working in their store. Mm -hmm. I love that game of just being a part of business. We would uh, take care of customers. I got to ring the cashier uh, register and just Mm -hmm. see customers come and go and help them. And I really loved how my grandparents took care of people. And I think that is something that's always stuck with me as find the right people and treat them right. Yeah. We've built a $700 million group of companies really on that premise of find good people and take care of them. And if you take care of your people, they'll take care of customers. But was raised by a single mom. Uh, my mother met my dad and we moved to Canada. He's a Canadian. Okay. And uh, that's how I ended up in Vancouver. And it's one of these things where uh, my dad's a liver transplant surgeon. So there wasn't the business inspiration from him. But what I got from him was work ethic. Okay. Whatever I did in my life, do it well. Mm-hmm. Channel all my energy and focus into giving it my all and doing my best. But if I made mistakes, which was okay, just learn from those mistakes. So grew up with a uh, great family, great grandparents, and uh, happy with the way I've turned out. So, so it wasn't a high pressure household. Well, it was it was high pressure ish. My my dad, being a liver transplant surgeon, has done more schooling than anyone I know. Yeah. So when I I didn't finish high school, it was one course short of graduation. Okay. I then talked my way into college because all my friends were going, and I didn't want to miss out. <laughs> and then uh, with a year left in college, I made a bold decision to drop out. I was running a business on the side. We're called 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but at the time we were the rubbish boys. Okay. And I ran this business and I was learning more about business, running a business more than studying in school. Mm. So I said to my dad, hey, dad, I, uh, I've got some good news for you. And I presented it in a positive light. And I said, I'm learning more about business running one. Mm. I'm going to take the leap and leave school and do this full time. And you talk about high pressure. There was pressure there from my dad for me not to leave school. He thought it was a mistake. Yeah. But I said, let me do it. I'm going to do it. 
and I'm willing to see what happens. I can always go back to college if my business doesn't work out, but clearly it did. Yeah. How was the business working at that time? Like as a young startup, just getting mm-hmm. it going, did you start to see velocity building right at that point? Yeah. You know, I, I made enough money to pay for college and and a little bit more, but it was when I f- fully committed and went all in on my business after dropping out of school, I added a truck. So I doubled my fleet to two and started to build and things really started to grow. So I would say uh, about a year and a half after dropping out of school, my business was half a million in revenue. Okay. And uh, things were taking off. Eight years into the business, we were at a million in revenue and it was slow but steady growth that sort of helped us propel this 1-800-GOT-JUNK brand, the first of our three babies, so to speak, in terms of companies into, uh, into the world in terms of building on culture, finding good people, training them well, developing them, mm. building great brands. Yeah. And you, and, you know, it's interesting because today you hear so many people say, oh, I can't find any good people. Mm-mm. And it's like, well, if you think that way, who are you going to attract, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's knowing who, what good people look like to you. Yeah. So a story I love to tell five years into my business at a half a million in revenue, I fired my entire company. I had 11 people. They say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I probably had nine bad apples. They just were, it's not that they were bad people. They were not the positive, energetic, ambitious people I was looking for in my little company. And I sat them down and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry as your leader, I've let you down, didn't give you the love and support you needed to be successful. And I made a change and things were different from that day on. That's when I came up with the slogan in my brain of it's all about people. And that would be everything moving forward. Never, ever, ever compromise on the quality of people we'd bring in to our business. And did we make mistakes from there on out? A few, but we've been really careful with our people. And so when people say you can't find good people, it's not our problem. We're we're finding great people all day long. It's harder to find people right now. Just the world's in a different place. And, uh, but we're certainly finding so many great people. And the more great people you have in your organization, the more momentum you get because good people tell their friends, hey, you got to go work at O2E Brands. You got to go work at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. They are our best promoters. So start with good people, the momentum builds. Yeah, you know what I think is cool? Like, you know, you go from working at your grandparents' store to this, you know, startup business idea, drop out of college, and then like you had to be learning so much in that process because I'm guessing you've never ran a half a million, million, $1.5 million business prior to that. Yeah. Yeah, I know there, there's always learning and that's what keeps it so fun and exciting. Um, yeah. We're at, as I said, about a $700 million run rate, run rate with our three companies. I've never run a $700 million company. One day we'll be a billion. I've never run a billion dollar company. So that's exciting to me. And the learning for me has always been I think the biggest thing as we've continued to grow is what type of leader do I need to be at each level of growth? Mm. Who I was at a million dollars in revenue was I was connected daily to every employee. I knew everything about their lives and what was going on in the business. But as things get to be a 10 million or a hundred million, I need to pull away and trust and empower other people in my organization to do the things that I'm not as good at. So today I'm in charge of culture, vision, some strategy, uh, finding new businesses, that kind of thing. But I'm not involved in the day-to-day. And in fact, I'm quite unplugged from many of the day-to-day 
happenings in the business because as things have gotten bigger, entrepreneurs often get in their own way. Yeah. And I needed to figure out how to get out of my own way. And I brought in um, a guy named Eric Church, who has been with us for 11 years now, an incredible friend, an incredible leader, president of our company. And we've grown the business from 100 million to 700 million under his leadership. I couldn't run a business that size. I can contribute to the vision. I can contribute to the culture. But knowing that I had to get out of the way and couldn't do uh, the job like he did. How did you know when it was time to get out of the way? Well, in a franchise organization, our franchise partners did a good job telling me I wasn't the right <laughs> guy, so to speak. Okay, okay. Um, and, and it's hard on your ego, but you have to listen. You know, they would tell me, Brian, you're really great at vision. You're really great at storytelling. You're really great at building a culture of amazing people and keeping us going in the same direction but you're not great at the financial side of the business. You're not great at building out the the training and development of people. So you learn what to let go of, but it's incredibly important to listen to the people around you. We, we, We all talk about leadership quite often in the business world. And to me, leadership is if you look behind you, are there people following you? If they're not, something's wrong. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're in a sports team, if you're in a business, Whatever it is, if you don't have people on your team following your leadership, you better look to yourself and grab a mirror and say, what do I need to change? Maybe I'm not the right leader to take things to the next level, or maybe there's something I need to adjust in my style to make sure that my leadership is inspiring and resonating with others. Yeah. It's interesting, though, too, because it's sort of deceiving in that when you're starting that business, you are the finance guy, you are the marketer, you are the sales guy, you are the junk guy. And then you have to, you, you could almost have the illusion that you're pretty decent at those things. And then you come one day, somebody says, hey, by the way, you're not that good at that. It's, yeah. It's and tough to swallow. You got to look for patterns. Yeah. If you're hearing it from a lot of people frequently, mm. for me, for example, PR, getting ourselves on Oprah and Ellen and Wall Street Journal and lots of great press over the years. It's been part of our strategy. I was always very good at the storytelling with the press but I no longer had the time to do it. And I felt like, oh, I'm the best on the planet. I'm the best at the on the planet in my business at doing this. I had to find and train someone else to do my role of pitching the press. And I actually found people that could do it better than I ever could. Mm. So I think in a company, we're often, especially as an entrepreneur founder, we're often very good at very, very few things. And so the more we can get off our plates, the more we can lead and develop someone else to do a job we used to do, but better. It's a win-win for your people. It's a win-win for the company. It's uh, easier said than done, but it's most entrepreneurs, I think, don't take that leap. They really get in each other's way. Or so they're, now, they're from, from you doing that, sort of a loaded question, does it free you up a bit? to do, or does it, you find it that, that you still get filled again? Yeah, no, it, it frees me up to do more of what I love, more of what I'm best at in the business. Okay. So I've always been busy. I've always worked uh, really hard and long hours, but doing the things I love and more of that adds more value to the business. If I can sit down with a group of franchise owners and inspire them to create their vision, their painted picture, that's better for me than 
trying to help coach them through profitability of their business. I pick the things I'm good at and spend more time doing it and everyone wins uh, and selfishly, so do I. Right. Yeah, if I, I mean, who who wants to do the things that they hate doing? Now, in a startup, you've got to. You have no choice. You're everyone. You're every hat uh, in the. You're wearing every hat in the business. But what was so great about bringing Eric Church on board eleven years ago is that he gets to do what he loves. I get to do what I love. There's very little overlap because we were careful, or I was careful, finding the right president to come into my company. I said, we have to be like a yin and a yang, and we have to fit together so perfectly where our strengths and weaknesses blend in where two heads are better than one. Uh, you know, we, we call it a two in the box model of leadership. Mm. And we recognize that we're both great at some things and we're both bad at some things. But as long as my strengths cover his weaknesses and vice versa, we're in really good shape. Yeah. How do you guys work with one another? Like, and how do you deal with, I'm sure there's some conflicts that come up. Uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are very strong-minded and strong-willed. Yeah, I think Eric and I are both strong-minded and type A personalities, but we've been able to embrace each other's um, gifts and Mm -hmm. say, you know what, Eric's way better at that. I'm going to trust Eric to make the decision. And he'll look to me for feedback on decisions that he wants help making. And so we're, we're a great team. I think that because we are actually a team and we listen to each other, we don't really have conflict in in the traditional sense of conflict. There's no headbutting. There is really listening to each other and then discussing through what might be the best outcome. But knowing that we make compromises, knowing that we cut each other some slack, um, and knowing that we make mistakes, right? Both Eric and I have made plenty of mistakes and some of them together. But you can't grow as a business or as a leader without making lots of mistakes. Yeah, yeah. How did you get into junk? Like, you know, I'm thinking junk, um, painting, uh, you know, gutters, window cleaning. Like, why those industries? Yeah, fragmented mom and pop type uh, industries. So junk removal was coincidental. I saw a beat up old pickup truck in a McDonald's drive through and I saw it filled with junk. And I said, there's my ticket. This (laughs) is how I'm going to pay for college. I'm going to go buy a truck and start hauling junk. So I found an idea and it paid off because I wanted to professionalize an industry that had never really had any branding. Nobody took their trucks and said, let's make them big billboards and use them as marketing vehicles. Nobody came up with a 1-800 national brand like we did with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And today with 2,500 trucks across three countries, we've built it out because we really took that approach of let's build the FedEx of junk removal, clean, shiny trucks, friendly, uniform drivers, And as we started to build 22 years into my business, my first one, I said, we want to do something else. What else can we get into that's fragmented? And the house painting space was perfect. So we started a company that we we bought the company originally. Uh, I was a customer. I had my house painted and a guy came in and just wowed me in terms of his model. He said, listen, I will paint your house in a day. It's a numbers game. You put in one person in one room or two people in a big room and you get it done with this coordinated project management. And it blew my mind. And I walked out of there going, wow, and bought the company and we renamed it Wow One Day Painting. So cool. we franchised that business, very similar to 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but younger, smaller, with plenty of room to grow. And one day should be bigger than 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And then Shack Shine. 
same kind of thing. I found a company because I couldn't fulfill a need of getting my gutters done by someone. And I asked around and found someone that came in and did such a great job that we bought the business and uh, rebranded it and off we go. So it's it's a formula that's worked for us. Fragmented industries that don't have a national brand, that don't have a franchise model, that could use some professional branding uh, standards of, of service and really just figuring out how to wow the customer in uh, in a new space. Our, our three businesses, while they're very different, they're all home service businesses, they're all franchised, and um, they're all market leaders or close to uh, mm-hmm. at this point. And, and that was another thing. Why, why franchising? Why did you choose that as your growth engine? Yeah, I'd, I'd always been inspired by what Ray Kroc did with McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Took the McDonald's brothers model and said, listen, let's cookie cutter this across North America. Let's take what worked in one part of California and start to blow it up around the world. And I thought, how can we scale and build something quickly with people who had skin in the game? I love that McDonald's had franchise owners. These were owners who said, this is my business under the McDonald's recipe and wanted to do and did the same thing. And um, it's fun because, you know, if I look at our franchise owners and I look at myself, we would all agree that many of our strongest friendships have come from the business with other franchise partners. They travel together, they hang out together. We get to see each other many times a year. And so we're in non-competing businesses, but we learn from each other, we grow together and it's been a, uh, and continues to be an incredible journey. Yeah, it's gotta be exciting to see what you've built, right? How you go from idea to, wow, look at look at the scale that we have so far on these brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's so much potential there's so much potential ahead of us. I look at the size that 1-800-GOT-JUNK is today as a $600 million business. Then I look at Wow One Day Painting as a $50 million business, call it. There's no reason why Wow One Day should not be bigger than 1-800-GOT-JUNK at some point. So I look at the potential of what we've got to build and billion-dollar brands is uh, is really the target for each one of them. And um, just to know we've got so much runway ahead our world, you know, you and I talked about this in the very beginning of this podcast is what keeps it fresh and exciting for me. And, and how do I, how does my role change? As we get bigger, I get to focus even tighter on the things I'm best at and I have most fun at. So lots of opportunity uh, left for me as well. Yeah. I guess that's what keeps you having fun is that you're actually moving towards the fun part of all of this, as opposed to just the straight grind of startup. Yeah, but even when I was in the the startup, that grind was fun. It was it was exciting. There was rapid fire hose learning. Um, I made it fun, and I choose to make everything fun. So even when the economy is approaching a recession, even when COVID happened, even when whatever is going wrong, that's a hard, challenging obstacle to get over. I still enjoy what I do every day. And I think our people do as well. And so we're up for the challenge and we're up for the challenge together. Mm. And I, I think that, you know, you will not find me at any point in the future going, oh, I'm bored of my business. It's not fun anymore. Ah, oh, this sucks. You know, I, I love what I do. And if I can inspire others to have that same attitude in their own franchise, yeah. we all win. So how do you manage? I mean, there's got to be days where you do feel some pressure or there is some some mm-hmm. stress or there is like, 
an issue, I would say sometimes cataloging your thoughts because that yeah. entrepreneurial mind is running. Like how, how do you handle that personally? Like, you know, what's your formula in the moment of how to sort thoughts and not let it get yeah. the best of you? Yeah, I mean, pressure can be a challenge, but in anything in life, right? Look at sports, the pressure an athlete, a coach, uh, um, anyone might feel in that world, it, it can be hard but it also makes the journey of winning or even the journey where you've lost, but you're going to figure out how to change and grow so you can win. It makes it exciting. So we need the adrenaline. We need the, the pressure points to go, oh, this is hard right now, but think of how good it's going to feel when we cross the finish line or get to the next goal. So I, I think it's a, a question of attitude, just managing my attitude. I absolutely have an attitude of gratitude every day. So I try and reflect on, even on a hard day, what am I grateful for? What went well? What did I learn? What, what moments am I grateful that I got to experience that day? Mm -hmm. To me, I, you know, I mentioned several times about the billion-dollar journey of what we're building. That's not going to be some magical, exciting moment of, yes, we hit a billion. The magical, exciting moments are the journey every day. Yeah. And that's what keeps me going is I'm like, oh, another great day, best day ever, had fun. And yeah. of course, not every day is truly a best day. But what were the best moments from that day that allow us to look at what we're doing and go, wow, that was worth it. We made a difference to a customer. We made a difference to a franchise owner. We've helped empower or change someone's life. Every day is filled with that as long as you're paying attention and you can sort of look ahead with, with both eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you too, like in terms of some of you, like with athletes, we work a lot on their self-talk and their internal dialogue, you know, for you, you know, there are certain things that you find yourself telling yourself, um, you know, on replay, you know, things that you use or say to yourself to keep you, you know, running in a positive uh, way. Yeah. You know, every day I set a daily intention. So what is something that day that will help me stay focused on uh, on the future or getting through to a winning day. And so it could be making sure that I hop on the Peloton that day just because I'm, I'm stressed and I am feeling the pressure and I need some extra energy and some clarity. Uh, it could be going for a walk in the forest. It could be smiling more that day. I mean, it literally is what's my intention that day to set the tone for my entire day to make sure I'm living my best life and that I'm helping to support our teams uh, to live their best life. And that, you know, you brought up the uh, sort of the attitude of gratitude. Is mm -hmm. that something that you sliver time, um, you know, out of your day to focus on? Or is it just in passing, you remind yourself of those things? Yeah, it's actually the last thing I do uh, in my waking day. So as I go off to sleep, I nod off and I think of at least five things that I'm grateful for. And uh, not only does it help me sleep, but it helps end the day in a really positive bookend. So I start with what's my intention for the day. I end with what I'm grateful for that day. And it's just this constant every day is a journey of learning. Yeah. And it really, uh, it works for me. I, I've got a rhythm of doing this for the last on and off 10, 15 years. And I yeah. found my my routines that that work for me. I call them my keystone habits. If I If I get up and do my intention, and I figure out some point in the day how to exercise, I eat well, and then I end with my gratitude, it's usually a pretty darn good day. Yeah. What, was there something specific that led you to those keystone habits? 
I think just learning from others, um, hearing what worked for different people. I have a forum group that I'm involved with, with my entrepreneur organization. And uh, I remember someone there used the term keystone habits, and that always stuck with me. So I'm like, yeah, what are my habits that if I do them every day, I'm much more likely to have a great day. If I exercise and I eat well, I'm I'm better able to handle the pressures of the day. Mm -hmm. If I have a positive intention for the day, I've got some direction. And the gratitude at the end of the day allows me just to go, okay, was I successful? I focus on my intention. Did I did I live that today? I don't every day. You know, I can have an intention to exercise that day and get too busy and don't make the time. But then I can reflect at night and go, hmm, I would have been better able to handle this moment today if I had exercised. So it, it's just paying attention to what's most important. You know, many people will focus on just the food they eat and filling their body with nutrition. But it's more than that. It's your brain. It's your attitude. It's um, it's so much more. And so I try and have a balanced approach there throughout my day. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I'm a performance coach by trade. So I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I come across a lot of executives, especially here in like the New York metro area. Mm-hmm. And they are just grinding. They're always redlining. And redlining has a cost. Of course. You know, um, I read something earlier that that uh, I guess you uh, it was an article focus days, think days, and free days. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like, you know, in, that you're only working three days a week in the business. Is that accurate? Or is that more well, you know, uh, just at the time? Yeah, I'll, I'll explain. I'm working at different paces in different ways. So I got this from Dan Sullivan, who's known as the strategic coach, yeah. famous guy out there, written a ton of books. And my my buffer day is my so I've got my my free days, my focus days, and my buffers. My buffer day is the Monday where I go, okay, let me get out of the office, let me get out of the home office, let me go to coffee shops and try and catch up on email, strategic thinking, uh, ideas that I have, things outside my my office environment where I'm not getting distracted by others. I love being around people. We're in an open open office environment. But I want to go somewhere where I can still get a buzz and an energy of a coffee shop, but not be bothered by anyone. So it's my kind of just day to to really get organized, ready for the week, and catch up on anything from the week prior. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are my hardcore focus days. So pre-pandemic, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, back-to-back-to-back meetings in the office. Today, it's more of a hybrid world, and sometimes excuse me, at home, sometimes in the office, but it is really that chance to just crank through the decisions and the ideas that need to be talked about and push forward. And then Friday, I try and keep as maybe it's my ski day. It's a day to go for a cycle. It's a day to go for a walk with my wife. It's a day to do something outside the business and not take phone calls and be present with my life and my progress personally, not just looking at the business. So I know that if I have a Monday to Thursday set of routines that really work well for the business, I can get everything I need to get done in a week in those four days, but I need to recharge and rebalance and have time with my family, my friends, my health to start again the following week. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs struggle today. It's like they can't give themselves that Friday free day, you know, where they they feel like if they have personal time, you know, they have to still split that time. And have be you know be ready with the phone or handling crisis while yeah. they're doing something fun, and it 
What do you think about that? And what would your advice be to people that say, I can't, I can't do it, Brian? Well, I get lots of people in our business that say, I don't want to do it differently. They'd like that go, 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 go multitasking, but I don't believe multitasking works. And uh, science says it doesn't work. And I've certainly been a part of some experiments that I've done through the business world to show me that multitasking doesn't work. And I believe that if you're trying to balance your family and your business together and just living that one life where you're go, 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 go with everything mixed in without any sort of recharge time, I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's healthy for relationships. I don't think it's healthy for the business. I don't think it's healthy for your health. So that's my own opinion, right or wrong. Uh, I certainly believe it to be true and it it works for me. And so I I didn't really want to become a parent that was always on a phone, always doing something and never focused on on time with my kids. I think during the pandemic, we had to deal with things in a bit of a different way and there was more blending of things together. But I'm trying to get back to just that that time where I'm, I'm all in with my family. You know, yeah. this weekend, so we had, I'm in Canada, we had Canadian Thanksgiving this weekend. I didn't go into my email from uh, Thursday afternoon till this morning. Mm, wow. It was nice to have those four days and not check work because we've got a great team and I was able to go dark and I was able to just be there with my family and the turkey and the whole bit, right? Yeah. And so I think that's important. I think that we don't do, I think we do a disservice to our teams and our families if we show up and we haven't had time to recharge. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I don't think it's sustainable. Well, the technology too, it's, it can be very addictive as well. And You know, you think you're off, but you're on your phone and it just keeps pulling you back in and the brain is always segmented. It's, yeah. it's tough. It, it's tough. tough. We, we do something at uh, O2E Brands, our group of companies that we call uh, Going Dark. So if I'm taking a vacation in the summer or anyone else in the company is taking a vacation, we say, go dark from your email and your social media. Um, We get someone who's a partner in the business that can cover things for you while you're away and let them check your email, let them whatever access you feel comfortable uh, giving them, but have a partner so that you can totally recharge and disconnect. So there's times where I'll take five weeks vacation. And I'll do it all in a row and I won't check in once because I've got Eric. And when Eric wants to take his time going dark, same thing. Now, what I do, my little trick, and I'm, I'm grateful that I have an assistant, uh, but I get my assistant to uh, change my passcode on my email. I can't get in. You know, I, I can't get in on my social media. I can't get in on my email. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because after the first couple of days where you're like, I wonder what's going on with this. I wonder what's going on with that. You start to realize you're having so much fun with your kids, with your friends, whatever it is, whatever adventure you got going on, it's uh it's an it's a nice thing to to be a part of. Yeah. And and is this something you could do as a, as somebody that's that's in a startup like Absolutely. You just yeah. need to find someone to cover for you. So think of a a, a coffee shop, you know, someone's got to go take a break, everyone's got to go take time off. You have someone else who's working the front counter. You just find someone who can do your job or at least be the go-to person if there's a problem that arises in your job, mm. have a cover. So this whole going dark thing, I mean, I've been doing it. I used to take Fridays off uh, in my startup phase of the business, probably after about a million in revenue, I started taking Fridays off. Yeah, it's cool. You know, it, it the, the business grew faster because I did that. A lot of people think, oh, I can't afford to do that. Well, 
the question I would ask is, can you afford not to? Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very cool. I started taking Mondays and Fridays last summer, not this summer, last summer. Mm. Game changer. So yeah. I have one more question for you. I call this the becoming a champion show. I feel like we're all on this journey to become our champion self. Mm. You know, what's the word champion mean to you? I think champion is someone who's living their best life, who is true to themselves. They've got the integrity to say, hey, here's my gift to the world and I'm staying focused on it. And I think we're all here to make the world a better place, of course. And we do that by staying focused on our gifts. So a, a champion to me is how do you take your gifts in the world and try and spend most of your waking hours doing that? How do you recharge when you need to recharge from from that so you can give more of it to uh to the world so you know everyone has the ability to be a champion of course but like entrepreneurs getting in their own way it, it takes work to be aware of it and say listen i don't want to get in my own way anymore i want to be the best i can be i want to be a champion yeah yeah no i love it i love your attitude about it because you know people see somebody like you and they say man he runs these you know this big company that does so much revenue he should be so and you're not right. I mean, I'm sure there's moments, but but sure. for the most part, you have an at least you have an understanding of it all. Yeah. So you can get out of it if you feel it coming on. Hundred percent. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for uh, for hanging with me today. I yeah, it. it's very cool. Thank you for having me, and uh, enjoyed our conversation a lot. Yeah. Awesome. I'll be uh, following you on LinkedIn. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, all man. Right, cool. Okay. Thank have a good day. Take care.